everything is a, a, is based on the decisions you make in the moment. So if you keep checking in and staying in that moment, making decision after decision after decision without attachment, that's the key, without attachment, then you'll always be doing what you can. So that's where this muscle that I have inside that says, am I going too hard or going too easy? I know that I need to go to the butt up against that that moment when I really need to make the decision that you just spoke about. Be there when it's happening to make the decision. And that's how you grow. And I just saw this direct translation from my meditation practice to that race on Sunday. And so watch how the mind too will want to grab on to your meditation and begin to control it and say, oh, I need to mix it up. And because that's just a red flag that the mind's in control and you're not. You know, when we sit for meditation, I always have people just take a few breaths, like, and that's kind of setting the intention. It's like this little message I send to the mind, like, we're sitting down and I will let you know when we get up. Like, and not a moment sooner will that happen. I'm in charge, you are not. You are the student, I am the master. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We're Jess and Beej, and we're here with our September Osho. Is it our September Osho? It, it is. is our September Osho. Uh, yeah, welcome back, you guys. Thanks so much for having a listen. And um, I think we're pretty grateful that the whole studio is not on fire right now because, well, if you're on the video, then you can see I'm holding up this <laughs> Palo Santo that we just got. Um, and I was cleansing the studio and um, got quite the flame. And now there's like, what did you say? There's like embers. Oh, yeah, there's one right over my head. I, about five minutes earlier, I lit the remnants of the old one, which That's is about so this That's so you, like the nubba. And we just got a little bit of taste of the Palo Santo in the apartment, but just proceeded to... Yeah, that was like Light a torching. Log. And then I b- blew it out because you're supposed to let the flame go out on its own, but it's a new Palo Santo. And um, it wasn't going out. And then I blew it out. And then the whole place was super smoky, which is not ideal when you're doing video. But I think it's clear besides the the ash that's falling from the sky. But it's fine. It's all good. It's out now. And um, an I think one. it's a metaphor for us and how we live our life. You had like the little nubba and it was a nice little controlled burn. And you were like, let's party. Let's no, burn like, this let's place clear. down. Well, we, so I lit it because I wanted to clear the energy because we sat down to podcast and I was like, are those leaf blowers? And then we looked and there's people across the street cutting down these super healthy trees. So we had to let that go and we wanted to clear out the energy because there are no mistakes and... Um, yeah, that really tugs at my heart, the, the healthy trees. And that's a tree I just described to you that Clark and I were just under there the other day and I was looking up at it like I was just taking it all in. It's so funny that that's the tree. Um, but so I, so I guess the lesson in that is you don't take those moments for granted, like more moments of looking up and appreciating the nature that's around you. Like if you see a tree, I do this a lot too in town here. These eucalyptus trees, they're huge, but they cut them down quite often. So 
but they're so beautiful. So I make a point to touch it. If I feel compelled to reach out and touch it, like the thought is like, oh, I should reach out and just touch the tree. And then I pass by. Now I actually reach out and touch it. And so I do that often just to give it a, a high five. Yeah. I mean, everything is, is temporary here, including these bodies that we live in. <laughs> Not to go right. too deep three minutes into the podcast. But and the first. It really is a, um, you know, because I do that same thing. Like I walk by that tree and take Clark out there early in the morning. And that's one of our little spots that we stop. And uh, I look up at that tree and I notice the, the leaves. And yeah. And uh, so. On paper, I would say, don't cut those down. They're super healthy, but they're down now. And um, yeah, I think we just, we feel the pain. But over time, I've let go of that fight. You know, remember our neighbor in Newport um, wanted to extend the um, driveway, the driveway, pavement, so we could park more cars. And there was this gorgeous Japanese maple, like mature, beautiful Japanese maple. And it was like a three-day murder. It was like first the the limbs came off, and then it was just like standing there, just the... Tra- it was so painful, and I was 100% attached. I was so... I was like in tears one day because I was like could feel the, the violence of it. And... Um, but... It, you know, I think that that was a potent lesson in letting go, and and uh, and so it continues, right? This life is a passing show. So, speaking of the show, here we are, Osho September, where we answer your questions. We get some questions this month. Thank you so much for sending them along, and um, and then we'll you know just roll with topics as they come because we're just always coming up against. Not up against, but coming up um, to face really great questions from our athletes and also topics that you and I go deep on as we watch the athletes that we work with um, navigate through those things. So we'll see what comes up in this episode. What we work through in our experiences, you raced on Sunday and I had a swim this morning that was challenging and, 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 and Saturday too, a workout. So in our experiences, we're living it. You always stress that, like we're actually putting ourselves in these experiences to learn from them as well as take in what our athletes are. There's no are way doing. I could speak, I think with the authenticity and the passion and the confidence in which I speak if I was not walking the talk. You know, this is a... This is a journey of ups and downs. And we, what I've discovered is that I'm in charge of how up and how down I go. And it's really about interrupting patterns that show me when I get pulled up too high, when it shows me when I get pulled down too low, interrupting those patterns and coming more towards that center line where I can really experience life as it is, which is just this rich itinerary, you know, and really experience that those trees getting cut down across the street, like that brought up pain for me. So that's like, oh my gosh, thank you. Like that experience showed me that there, or allowed some pain to rise up, you know, and then, uh, but good thing I burned that Palo Santo and get all cleared out. Yeah. Which is wood, which probably came from a tree, I'm assuming. Yeah. Probably. So full circle. Right. So yeah, where am I doing that? I just just burning wood. You know, it's not. It's a, a perfectly imperfect yeah. journey. Well, and uh, I think the the gold in it, or the the takeaway, is like to feel it, feel that pain, feel the emotion, but then not attach to it, and just you know feel it in the moment, and then move forward. 
And I think that's that's something you know I I work on a lot. We just talked to Bob about it too, like being able to feel the emotions, but but then move move forward in your time, what your relationship is to that experience. You know, I would say I feel like it's just been the last like three or four years that I've really began to embody and fully understand like how to work with emotion. You know, I think when I first started on this path, it was like, oh, you can't be negative. You can't feel sad. You can't be angry. You can't be jealous. You can't be all of these things. And so then, um, and this was like a warning that we got in yoga teacher training too. Like you're going to leave and you're going to have pressure. Like you need to be a spiritual guide now that you're a yoga teacher and that's crap. Like be yourself. It takes no effort to be you. And that took a lot of undoing because I was like, whoa, there's a lot of effort to be me. And now I understand. I understand that the feeling is true. And so you got to sit with that feeling and sometimes it lingers for days. But the thoughts about the feeling, we talked about this with Dr. Dia Grant, the thoughts about those feelings... (laughs) I've found are 100% untrue. Um, so I could also say they're rarely true. And um, that they're just stories. They're just stories. But if we feel, if we let it come up, we feel it. And I think there's the, there's the non-attachment because we're not engaging in the commentary about them. And also it's not about not having commentary about them, right? right. So feel, like we were never taught to feel, not at all. When we were babies, we got a thing stuck in our mouth that, you know, we were said to calm the baby, but really it's just more convenient for society for a baby not to be crying. Like we are not taught how to feel. We're not um, as a society. And so what those things do is they teach us how to push our emotions down. So... Yeah, if you're walking this path and you start to open, know that there could be an eruption of a lot of things coming up, but it's just stuff on the move. Emotion is just energy in motion. Yeah, yeah, everything's energy. Those those feelings, because I just had this thought about stories, like you have the feeling, you attach it to a story, and then you can label it, and now it's categorized. And then you repeat that process over and over and over again so that you're never actually feeling you're skipping to the category, the categorization of it. And then you don't really have to think about it. Well, that's the efficiency of how we're built, right? right. The machine of our brain, the machine of our body. And it's amazing. It, the efficiency, there's so much that we're doing in that efficient mode that's good. Getting up and getting in my meditation cushion is a non-negotiable, like it's an automatic pattern. It's a least action pathway. That's good. Jumping in the, getting to the pool, jumping in, starting your workout. Yeah, that's automatic. good. Those are good. Mm. But there's other ones that we want to look at. And so how do we know which ones that we want to start to look at? And that is how do you feel? Because the more fearful you feel, the more angry you feel, the more depressed you feel, it's just direct. We, and actually, Meditator Bob was just talking about this this morning, and it's something that Abraham Hicks talks about a lot too, is how you feel is in direct relationship to how aligned you are with who you truly are. And that's why it takes no effort to be you. Yeah, that's a profound... I forgot about that in yoga teacher training. It really does. Philip would say that a lot. Mm-hmm. I, it, but to embrace you is scary. I think that's, uh, we've talked about that, just like using all your energy to be that persona that you want to be, that you put out into the world. And let's just say your Instagram handle, like you want to be that person. But if you backtrack and just sort of get to the roots of what the essence is of who you are and 
and allow that to be who you are, not based on anticipated judgment from others, then it's really super easy. It's really super easy. Like, I wouldn't say I'm 100% there, but I'm closer than I've ever been in my entire life. And the reason I know that is because it's, it's no effort. Like, I don't feel like it's effort to talk or to speak or to act or to move or to navigate this uh, life school that we're in or a school. Like, I, don't, I feel like it's, it's presenting opportunities and then you just simply feel your way into what your reaction is. It's really that simple. Once you get to the side of being who you truly are. So how do you know who you truly are? How do you know? Experience. Experience, yeah. You have to experience it. And the shifts of becoming more of who you are, coming back to that center, is only going to be learned through experience. It's an experiential path. So we can talk about yoga all day long. We can talk about enlightenment all the way all day long. We can talk about mind mastery all day long. We can talk about changing mindset around injury all day long. But the only way that we're actually going to do those things or reach those heightened levels or get to that level of healing in our body and our minds and on in our minds is through experience. For sure. Yeah, I mean I mean I'm not immune to it. I mean, since this is the open and honest show, I'll share something that happened yesterday. Like I did a video in the car on the way to the pool. I like put the thing in the little um, in the little cup holder or whatever, so I could keep my eye on the road. And I like because I this stuff was coming through about active recovery. And then I came home and I watched it, and I was like, ugh, it was like it was like. I didn't like the way like my arm looked and then there was like something like hanging over my bathing suit. Like it was my body and I was just like, ew. And I'm like, oh, my face looks old and I have wrinkles and I deleted the video. And I was really aware of it. I was like, nobody is going to say anything about how your arm looks. And even if they notice like, oh, her arm looks fat and saggy. They're gonna, it's gonna help them feel better about their arm, right? And I was like, so you can just put it out there or you can delete it. So make your choice. And I deleted it. And then moved on? Yeah. Or, and then, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I'm not, but I, I see that, oh my gosh, yeah, I still, I still have that. I was talking to an athlete a couple of weeks ago about, um, and this athlete's somebody I work with who's competitive in, in their age group. And we were talking about body image and I was sharing my own experience with it. And, you know, even now that sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, you look like you're like ancient. And then I have to like come back and just be like, got the energy that creates worlds coursing through my veins. Like, and I always go back to like meditation, you know, reverses aging and it actually lengthens the end caps on your DNA. So you're moving in the right direction. You're doing everything you can and you're doing pretty well, you know. But anyway, I'm not immune to those things. And so, you know, I'm not beating myself up for doing it. But I think it's important to share those things because we're certainly not on the other side of that stuff. I'm still Mm -hmm. in a human body. I still forget who I am. I look in the mirror and I think that that's who I am. And, you know, I've got judgments. Yeah. It's not who you are. I don't have judgments. The ego has judgments, you know? Do I look better than... I did yesterday or this other person or, you know, it's just the way it is. There's there's that part that's always in comparison. You're always going to have it. It's just, are you going to listen to it or not? So, okay. Should we move into some questions? Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, oh, this question came in uh, last month, and we had already recorded the show. So it's about the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita, which we talk about a lot. And um, the question is, what is it about the Bhagavad Gita that calls to you versus other scriptures? Because the Gita is scripture. It's, it's Indian scripture. So it was the book that was introduced to me by my teacher. And when I first started working with him, we talked about like, okay, how did you grow up? Did you grow up with spirituality? Did you grow up with religion? And I grew up Catholic. And even as a kid, I, I used to have a hard time understanding, you know, why... Oh, just, I was, there were so many things that didn't add up for me. And I certainly didn't understand why you had to go in this super scary, dark, like closet. And then this thing slid across and you had to tell like all the bad things that you did. Like that just never added up to me. There were so many things that didn't add up. And so I was very confused about religion and I just pulled away from it completely. And I think a lot of the frustration that I had growing up through my teens and my 20s was like I had that spiritual pull. I have always had that connection with with my spirit and my soul. And it was like I didn't I didn't know where to go because I thought, well, you could either be Protestant or you could be Jewish or you could be Catholic. Like I just didn't know. Like there was all these other things. And so I think moving to Boulder really opened me up to understanding, you know, Buddhism and Hinduism and, and of course, um, traveling to India and working with Tibetan refugees uh, who uh, were Tibetan Buddhists and learning so much about that. And really, it was resonating with me, the teachings of India and Tibet, these girls uh, and men that I worked with were really speaking to me. So when Meditator Bob and I first started working together, we had that conversation and he introduced me to the Gita. And so if I look at the Gita now, you know, the Gita is the teachings of yoga and yoga is the science of the mind. And if you look at all these other religions, and actually I think about the podcast that I did with Erica, um, Michener? Yeah, Erica, for, uh, John Joseph's uh, partner in New York like years ago, I think like maybe like four or five years ago, she talks about how she did all this like kind of backwards philosophizing and was really starting to backtrack all this philosophy that she was learning through um, karate and, and all of that. And like she said, what she found was it all funnels back to these ancient Indian teachings, like Indian scripture. And what I've also come to found, find out is that Jesus studied with uh, the mystics and, and the yogis and learned to meditate. And there's a lot of references in the Bible. I have since kind of healed that confused relationship. And Bob and I have gone through like the Bible and um, seeing the different areas where they're actually talking about meditation. Um, and um, so yoga really spoke to me, and I thought, I kind of like going to the source, right? Like if I want B12, I'm going to, um, you know, leave a little bit of dirt on my food. Like I'm not going to eat the animal that's got the B12 from eating the plants. I'm going to eat the plant. So I kind of like going to the direct source. And when I had that conversation with Erica that confirmed it, it was like, yeah, I like to just go to the source because a lot has stemmed from, if not all, and, and I could be misspeaking, I don't know, from ancient Indian philosophy, which is thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. So the Gita teaches the path of yoga. 
And yoga is the science of the mind. And that's what resonates with me. I want to know how to recondition my conditioned mind. It also teaches you meditation. It teaches you how to die. Um, It teaches you devotion. It teaches you detachment. And these are all qualities that I know are very necessary in my transformation as I continue to raise my consciousness. So as an athlete, too... The Gita takes place on a battlefield, and it's the battle of the mind, and it's the one that we all must wage in order to know who we truly are. And I think as an athlete, I really resonate with Arjuna and being a warrior and sometimes not wanting to fight, you know, and sometimes feeling cowardly. And and so it's just really resonated with me. Now, that's not to say that I haven't read a lot of the Bible. I've also done, um, read the Upanishads, which is a other scripture. And then Bob has taught me a lot about the uh, Vedas, which are like the earliest recordings of uh, experience with streams of consciousness. And then also the Quran, like he knows, the, he's studied all of this stuff. Um, and so he knows the Quran very well. And as he has taught me about these other scriptures, it all comes back to these teachings of the Gita. So that's kind of where I'm That's really how I got drawn to it. And I kind of think like if you find a thing that really speaks to you, like stick there. But there's other books too that we, and that's actually another question that we have. Yeah, what other books do you, what other books would you recommend? So what's on our hit list? Like what? Well, why don't you start since I just took up a chunk of moments? Well, yeah, well, um, I personally like The Untethered Soul. Michael Singer, uh, in yoga teacher training with Live, Love, Teach. It's kind of the first book that they, actually, they only asked us to read the first chapter. And that's what I give to our athletes is just read that first chapter. Start with the first chapter and read it over and over and over again. Um, But it's a really, uh, to me, it just connects. Like I read it over and over. I just open chapters and read random things. Um, It just connects with me because it, it talks a lot about you or not the thoughts Again, a meditation, you know, separate thoughts and awareness of those thoughts. And it's really simple. It tells basic stories that I I feel like I can uh, really grasp well and then share my version of the story with others when they ask. Like, I I feel like I can pull a teaching from it. So that's one book. And Um, all that, and like everything that Michael Singer is talking about is the essence of the Gita. You yeah, know, it's like, all connected. It's all connected. It's every- all very simple. Right. You're not the mind, and you're not the thoughts, and you're not the body. What's an, what's uh? Well, the other one, the surrender experiment from Michael Singer <laughs> is so, so amazing. Another huge teaching huge, from the Gita. Um, Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. Uh, really like that. I mean, I just, you can just open that and just... I remember doing my long runs in Newport we had that book on audio file and I would just put it on my iPod, that little iPod, whatever that, the shuffle, I think it was called. And I just remember listening to it over and over again on my long runs. Um, remember the ones that we had um, that were like egg shaped? Yeah. And those were Nike. They were Nike. Yeah. And I remember people at the gym were like, you have music on that? I'm like, yeah, MP3s. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then we'd like blast in all this punk music. And well, it probably wasn't punk music. No, it was. Uh, it was like Blink-182. It was yeah. like snowboarding music. Yeah. And then, yeah, that probably wasn't very safe. We're no, like blasting music <laughs> and snowboarding in the trees. 
Uh, so those those are some books. Oh, The Alchemist. Hmm. I guess it's my favorite books because you've listened to these. I know you have, but for me, that these things tell stories. I don't venture too far out. Like I just like to read stuff over and over again. Um, the same thing with my training, <laughs> same loops over and over, same similar workouts over and over again and get really good at it, desensitize the mind. The mind wants more like entertainment and we already have a lot of entertainment going on. So for me, my I'm talking my personal experience, I like to hone in on a few things and just get really, uh, just really soak those up. That's my experience. Yeah, I think that's great, um, a great thing for people to take away. You know, I'm looking at the Yoga Sutras, the Yoga Sutras of Pintanjali. I have the version that was translated by Swami Satyadananda, which is one of my teacher's teachers. And, um, you know, another big tie-in to the Gita, right? Like that's that teaches yoga and the Gita teaches yoga. Um, and I love the sutras because they tell such basic stories. There's so many little like tales and stories in there to help you understand um, just these qualities of life and the highs and the lows and the contrast that we experience here. And again, it's all the limbs of yoga and the sutras. I can't remember how many there are. I'm sure there's many yogis that could name that right off the bat. Can't remember how many, but I think there's four books within the sutras and they're really kind of the guidelines and the teachings of how to raise your consciousness. So, and I like that. Like, I want to raise my consciousness. If I raise my consciousness, my cells are going to change. My body's going to be healthier. My muscles are going to be healthier. I'm less prone to injury. Like, I like that stuff. So, um, you know, there's training the mind, right? The science of the mind. So as an athlete, why would I, why would I not want to dive into the science of the mind? And I'm not talking about what science has discovered about the mind. I'm talking about the science of the mind, like reconditioning the conditioned mind. Not so much about what's happening in the brain because the brain's going to follow how we recondition our mind. The brain is the organ that captures our consciousness and our consciousness holds our whole history. So um, I'm not interested, again, going right to the source. I'm not interested in what, not that I'm not interested, it's fun and cool to understand that the brain is plastic and we can change it and it's a total miracle. I'm not poo-pooing the brain. It's amazing. I thank it every day. Actually, I was sitting and, and imagining it and holding it today in, in meditation, like imagining all the gray matter in my brain. And like, do you ever do that? Do you ever like imagine your insides? I do that all the time. And I was just infusing it with all this light and watching the synapses and really cool. So I do like to use that stuff, but I like to go just right to the source, right to the source. Who am I? Let me go there and then I can, on my way, I can get rid of all those layers that are keeping me from, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. All, all the, all these things are, um, like these books are information, right? And it's, it's great to understand this stuff, but what do you do with it? Back to our conversation about, yeah, a first step is awareness and understanding, but then it's like, how do you put that into action? Like if you're talking about going to the source, what in what throughout your entire day can you shift awareness and presence to that you can be there and choose what your next step is or your reaction is? So what is it? What can you 
shift your awareness to? Everything. Every, your breath. Like uh, the breath is a great cue. And we talk about that all the time. But, but what I'm saying is like throughout a 24 hour period, drinking, picking up and drinking the coffee or drinking your cacao or how I move my arms. Like all of this is opportunity to, to practice awareness. And when you're aware and conscious and presence, then you can see that there's a separation. So yes, I, you know, understand the mind, gather information, read the books that we mentioned, but it's for me, it's really, how do you apply that throughout your entire day? As many times as you can, you're going to be, you're going to be terrible at first. You're not going to be aware of everything, but if you can do one thing, a great thing is putting away the dishes or washing the dishes. Super easy thing. Everybody does it. Um, and how can you be present in doing it? And how can you be present? Try not to make any noise. Be very deliberate with how you place the knife into all the uh, the compartment with all the other knives, and it's going to cling. Can you be really, really quiet with it? That takes presence, right? Versus trying to get it done as quickly as possible. That's just one example. So that's how you apply it. Like, and that's where I feel things get lost. Like, again. <laughs> Talking to Bobby, people don't want to do the work. Having uh, referencing Bobby Aldeguri, um, who we just had on the podcast, about people not wanting to actually do the work that's necessary, the work, the 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 reps, over and over and over again. And so, so how can we apply that to our daily life? How can, so? You're listening to this podcast, you're driving, and you're like, "Oh, I can do that. I can do that." So do it. Do it right now. Yeah, like right now. Right now. Like feel your feet. Feel, feel your, your hands on the yes. steering wheel. Are they at 10 and 2? Are they clenched? Yes. Can you relax? How are you bit? sitting? Are you sitting up straight? Where are you looking? Are you breathing? Do you have sunglasses on? How are your rearview mirrors? Like everything that can zoom you into this particular moment. Um, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, action. Well, and that's one of the things in the Gita it talks about. Like, it's like Arjuna stand up, right? Like, yeah, like, get up and get no. Up. I was gonna say uh-huh. how it talks about like knowledge is is amazing, but it's nothing without action. It's that's nothing. Like, that's it's, like a, and then they would go as far as to say it's actually a wasted life. <laughs> it's pretty hardcore. <laughs> that's another reason I like the Gita. It's like kind of hardcore, um, but yeah. Well, it's like the idea, like I had the idea. Well, so did somebody else. But why are they successful? Because they actually put it into action. So they didn't steal your idea. They actually... Well, this goes to like something, a bigger concept, which is thoughts are not personal, they're universal. And if everything is energy, thoughts are also energy. And so the thoughts that come to us are basically a reflection of our point of attraction, because like attracts like. So that's why if and and um, Elizabeth Gilbert tells that great story in Big Magic about she has she had this very specific <laughs> right. book that she was going to write, and she delayed and she delayed and she delayed, and then she had lunch like a couple years later with this writer that she really admired. It was like a hero of hers, and she was like, "Oh, I just finished this book," and basically tells the story of the book that Elizabeth was going to write, and was like, "Oh my god!" So the teaching for her there was like. 
act on those inspirations because if you don't, it will move on to somebody else who's open and ready for action. But how many people did it move through before it got to Elizabeth Gilbert? Like, you don't know, right? And then that can be like paranoid, like, oh my God. But then that's a lack mindset. So that would be something to pay attention to. And we're not entitled to the fruits. We're entitled to the work. So the work of writing the book, it doesn't matter if it was your book or someone else's book. You wrote the book. Did you have an experience writing the book, even though somebody beat you to the punch? Right. The world needed the book. Right. For whatever so reason, the world needed the story. It matter. It's right. not yours. Right. And the universe goes, well, are you going to do it? Oh, you're not going to do it? Okay, well, I'm going to give it to somebody else. All right. And oh, yeah, they have that same attraction point. So I'm going to pop it over there. Oh, they're doing it. Okay, great. That's done. That's getting into the world. All right. What's the next message mm-hmm. that needs to get into the world? Wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> next question. The Osho is deep. Oh, yeah. So we already did, we did the books. Um, there was a, oh, there's another book. Especially if somebody is working with like, ending their lack around finances. And I think this is such a big one. Finances is such a big one uh, that our meditation teacher has really helped us with understanding spiritual accounting and paying yourself first and all of that good stuff. And um, But understand too, that if there's fear of money, which is a lack mindset, you don't just have it in money. Like it's everywhere. Like right. you can't just say, oh, I have this mindset in lack around money. It's like, no, it's look, like take a good look. It's everywhere. So um, there's a lot of different things in this complete work, but it's Florence Scovel Shin and it's four books in one book. Uh, and the first one is the game of life and how to play it, which I love. Um, there's one with like the, the power of your word, um, the secret of success. There's like uh, there's like four books in this one book, and it's yeah the complete works Florence Scovel Shin, who was really like the first person talking about law of attraction. But what I love about it, and I probably have talked about it on the podcast before, is she takes a lot away from the Bible and the Bible talking about law of attraction, right? So. Um, Jesus would say, we reap what we sow. Law of attraction would say, what we focus on expands. Yoga would say, law of karma, right? Um, law of cause and effect, essentially. What science would say in our world is every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So if you see, like, we're all speaking the same language, but that's a great book and a quote-unquote easy read and a lot of examples in there of, of stories that she shares that you know anything can change in an instant and that is a really amazing mindset to adopt that anything can change in an instant that if you have a bill due in 2 days you got plenty of time to get the money to pay for it whereas we go oh, 2 days 2 days but 2 days that's so much time or injury my injury in in January and February like i knew it was going to change in one instant so if i didn't keep momentum and strength going, doing what I could do, when that moment happened, I would be further behind. But instead, I was right where I needed to be. And when that instant happened, because I knew it was going to change, it changed. And then I could flow right right into rhythm. But the reason why it changed in an instant is because you believed it would change right. in an instant. And uh, I had no that's proof what of happened that. with my last injury as well. It was like, this came in an instant, and it's going to leave in an instant. Of course, it had been building, 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 but you don't notice. All you notice is when you're like, what was that? I'd never felt that before. But yeah, anything can change in an instant. So, okay. 
Here's a question that you had from one of your athletes, um, not necessarily for the show, but something you wanted to bring to the show was, you know, when to push and when to hold back. And oh, I, yeah, I know right. we've talked about this before, um, but I want to know how you answered that. Yeah, it's, so it's a theme. It's a theme that comes up quite often. Um, when you coach, the, w- the way that we coach, I think it comes up more often because we do a lot on feel. Uh, it doesn't mean we don't bring in the numbers, the watts, the heart rate, the sp- pace, whatever. Uh, those are all points of data, you know, just different points of data. Well, so is feel. And feel is, to me, the true reliable piece of, um, of information that you'll always have. You, you always can tap into. Um, we don't need an outside piece of technology to tell you how hard you're going. You can actually just feel it. And I think that that bumps up against um, people's uh, or athletes' um, relationship with themselves, relationship with their feeling, with who they are. We got a full belly reveal As Clark over is here. Like totally chilling, ma'am. Yeah, he is aligned with his center. Oh my God, he is <laughs> pure joy. <laughs> this guy over here. But that feel, like the feel, and, and when you don't know how you feel, then yeah, I understand there's confusion into how do you know when to push and when not to push. So let's start, let's start building experiences that you can begin to explore where that area, where that fine line lies between pushing and holding back. And you're going to be great at it sometimes, and you're going to be terrible at it sometimes, and you're going to be spot on sometimes, but it's this flow of, of celebrating your unique gifts and managing how you, flow, how you feel, not how somebody else feels, not how you feel, not how I feel, or Clark feels. How do you feel in that moment? So uh, what we do and what I did is gave this athlete a pretty challenging workout. I served up a challenging workout. Here you go. <laughs> hey, I have an idea. Let's put you into an experience <laughs> yeah. where you're going to get to that point where you're like, do I push or not push? Oh, this is so cool. I didn't know this. Okay. Yeah. So Because I just heard the remarks from the workout. You just read those to me. Yeah. So I just got feedback this morning from okay, the workout so, that it yeah. was, thank you. Big caps. Thank you for this experience. So first, the athlete needs to be open and willing to explore this area. Let's that let's step back. That's step 1. And then trust that whatever is prescribed in the workout is just it's just a framework. Right? Whether you are successful or are or how you deem unsuccessful at the workout really doesn't matter. It's did you go in and have an ex- oh, go in with an open mind and have an experience? Did you just have an experience with it? Did you see yourself wanting to hit all 12 repeats at the same pace? Did you see yourself wanting to stop at 8? Did you see yourself stopping at 12 and saying, I could go more um, and be there experiencing all of that? Feel it all. So wh- how, do you, how do you feel it? Well, you stop. You take a breath. Do the interval. Don't look at your watch. Stop it. Take a breath. How did that feel? Oh, it felt kind of good. Okay, so we got another one in about a minute here. Okay. Go right into the next interval. And then just keep repeating, repeating, checking in with yourself, constantly reinforcing how am I feeling? Now, don't look at the watch, but how am I feeling? What does it feel like? Do you feel anger? Do you feel joy because you're hitting your paces? Do you feel joy because you're outside and able to run in a on beautiful Southern California day? 
And then I gave the, uh, I gave the athlete after that um, a little rest and then a one-mile best effort. So you're not done after the intervals. Like now you've got to perform a one mile um, effort. And so what the mind wants to say is why? After all that, why would we want to, like, why am I doing one mile? Like, what is the purpose of this? It wants to know, wants to create a story around it. Then it starts to go into, oh, I used to be able to run a mile at this pace. I wonder if I'll be able to run a mile today at that pace. Well, and I think to know when to push and not to push, like you got to know how it feels to push. So I would think that that mile best effort is a part of the push. Like, okay, here's the push. So how hard is hard? Well, you just did 12 intervals. Go see how hard one mile is. It's going to be different. I can't say, I can give structure and give parameters, but in that moment, you're going to feel your way into how hard you can go. I think we sell ourselves short that we don't have the intelligence right. to know. And when we say, how do you know and how, do you, how to know when to do this or to do that, it's like in the moment that we're asking that, rarely are we in the situation where that question is right up against our face. It's usually after a workout, after our shower, or before a workout. Well, how am I going to know when? Well, the only time you're going to know when is when you're in it, right? Is when you're in it. I actually think the plank challenge is a great is a great uh, example of this in my own experience was like, I made that commitment. I saw that it was doable, but I definitely like came out of that challenge a little scathed. Like I definitely was like, oh man, I'm going to need to recover from this challenge. But I also knew like, I also was feeling what was happening and I was like, it's just tension. Like I'm not injuring myself. This is nothing that is going to be long-term because I could feel that from within. So I kept going and I kept pushing every day, kept pushing 29 minutes, 30 minutes, 31 minutes. And then we were done. And, and I feel like, I feel like I'm actually kind of have recovered. It's been about a week now, but I definitely had some upper back stuff and shoulder stuff, but it was only in that experience that I knew like, yeah, you can do it. Like today, like right now, not even today, but right now it's going to be one minute at a time. And then the next day it was like, oh, I can do five minutes at a time. So by putting this athlete in the experience, they got to learn a little bit more about how it feels to push. And it, it, yeah, and it, it was helpful for them to hear the story that I shared on the team live about my experience in Placid. And just to sum it up, you've heard the story before, but we were in Lake Placid to start the High Vibe Tour and we were training on the course for about six weeks in preparation for Ironman Lake Placid. And the Monday before the race, I came down with some sort of illness in my body. I don't know what it was, but I, we had to move into the hotel. I couldn't eat, and I was in the bathroom a lot. And that continued on. I couldn't train, and I didn't know if the race was going to happen. But, but in the, the mindset that I had been practicing, it was to just take the next step. What is the next step I need to take? Which we had been learning already for like two months. Yeah. Because we were, we were like, uh, what did we just do? <laughs> like we just walked away from- <laughs> Sold our houses. Like we're living off of savings. Quit our jobs. Like, yeah. And we were like, okay, what's the next logical step? What's the next step? So I kept taking the next step and took me to Thursday when I checked in my bike 
I took the next step. I was able to humble, uh, hobble down there and get my bike in. And then Saturday, I, uh, you know, did all the, the stuff that you do in preparation for Ironman and dropped off my bags and got up early race morning. I even had, you know, breakfast I tried to eat breakfast, um, three hours before the race start. And, even got into, tried to put on my suit and I just had this thought of like, I don't know how I'm going to get the suit off if I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so I took it all the way up to, I would say two, two and a half hours before race start. Um, so about six and a half days there of doing everything I could in the moment to get me prepared. And it just didn't pan out. Come to find out, I think it was like 24 hours later after the race or 48 hours after the race, I was fine. Like it just, thing had passed and I was ready to train again. And there were a couple from the clinic that you were going to to get IVs. Yeah. You were losing weight. You were so dehydrated. Yeah. So again, doing everything you could. You were like everything riding you your bike to the like the emergency clinic to get IVs because you didn't want to lose the, the parking, parking space. <laughs> That's <laughs> That's so like placid. And riding home. And I remember like the nurse or something was telling you like there's a couple other guys that came in. Yeah, there's something going around, whether in the water or something happening. Yeah. In any in any case, what that did is it built belief. It it it, it provided an experience for me to soak it all up, to be there to make choices, and to build uh, build that that muscle memory inside of me that says there's really nothing that can hold me down. I, I everything is a, a, is based on the decisions you make in the moment. So if you keep checking in and staying in that moment, making decision after decision after decision without attachment, that's the key, without attachment, then you'll always be doing what you can. So that's where this muscle that I have inside that says, am I going too hard or going too easy? I know that I need to go to the butt up against that that moment when I really need to make the decision that you just spoke about, be there when it's happening to make the decision. And that's how you grow. And you don't attach to the outcome, obviously. Like if I attach to, oh man, I didn't get the race. It sucks. Terrible. But instead, what did this whole experience provide me? It said it was a temperature gauge into how well I can navigate challenging circumstances. And that's just one instance. I mean, that can translate to challenging swim sets or you know, navigating race day when, you know, somebody cuts you off or is drafting, like all of this is relatable. It's all part, it's all the same thing. It's how we react. It's being an active participant in the decision-making process when it's happening. And so obviously there was, I'm assuming there was emotion. I actually can't remember, but I'm, I, I I do actually remember you being like, watching this all go down and being like, oh, it's being pretty masterful. Like this is pretty impressive how you were navigating it. But that day, right, like everybody's out racing, but you didn't just pull up the covers and watch movies and roll around. Like you took a shower, got dressed, and went out and cheered people on, which you guys, if you're in a situation where obviously there was a loss there, you were planning on racing, there was a loss. But one of the ways that's really good as we're feeling feelings that are less than optimal is one of the ways to help process that energy to just put yourself in service of others. And so you did that that day. You went out in and, uh, and cheered people on. Yeah, I was so glad I did. Yeah. That was the gold in, that, was the gold in, the, um, in that experience. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's so it's how do you know when you're pushing it out? You got to go experience it. You you got to have. You don't have to have. <laughs> it's great to have a coach mm-hmm. or a mentor or somebody that can help guide you into the experiences that. Yes, they keep you safe. You're going to be safe, but they are going to be challenging. They're going to ask you to step up. It, the same thing you do with your mindfulness clients. Like you're not just like, oh, just, you know, if you want to meditate five minutes, go ahead and meditate five minutes. No, there's things you have to provide every day to be on this warrior Because I don't have their answers. They have their answers. Right. So I'm just pointing them in the direction. I'm not there to tell people what to do. Although sometimes I'm like, I did tell an athlete that I work with a couple weeks ago, I was like, sit your ass down and meditate. Uh, So sometimes that comes out, but sometimes you need that. You need kind of a swift kick, you know? Sometimes you need that. Sometimes I need that. I've had that from my teacher before. But yeah, you got to put yourself in the experience. And it makes me think of, uh, there's an episode I did season two, intuition versus mind stuff. And really intuition is a is learning from within. And so we're not, we're not, another thing that we're not really well versed in is, is really being able to hear that voice from within because it's very subtle. So meditation attunes us to that because it comes from the quiet. And when we are in quiet, when we still our bodies, when we shut our eyes and our mouth, and we don't move for a certain amount of moments every mor- every day, every morning specifically, we, we create a deeper relationship with that quiet that's inside. And when I refer to the quiet, I'm not talking about the mind, because the mind is a thought-producing machine, so it's going to continue to produce thoughts. It's like the it's like that machine that shoots tennis balls and baseballs out so people can do batting practice. That's kind of like what you're doing in meditation. You're kind of like batting practice with those thoughts come in, just bat them out. Like thoughts come in, redirect the, your awareness to your breath, and those thoughts will keep moving. But in that episode, I give techniques that you can use during intervals to begin to uh, he, deepen that relationship with your intuition and hear that intuition and be able to discern that from the mind stuff during like a challenging workout. So that's in season two. Highly recommend you listen to it. And all the episodes of Awake Athlete. Huh? Do yourself a favor. Yeah. Tune in. If you're ready. Or if you're not ready, go have an experience. Yeah, if you're not, if, and just take what resonates and leave the rest. Right, like, right. don't we get we get so fixated on what we don't understand um, because the mind always wants to figure it out, right? The intellect is always wants to un un uh, you know get into a problem. But what happens when we do that is we we dismiss what it is that resonates, and what resonates is what we're ready to put into practice. So put that into practice. So take what resonates, leave the rest. And like the Gita, keep coming back to it because you'll take something different away every time. I don't think that those are, those podcasts are not meant to be one one and done. They're designed for binging and um, multiple times. That's why I keep them short. So, Uh, okay. I just want to talk real quick about, I think that's it for questions. But I want to talk a little bit about the translation of meditation to race performance. And yeah, you had that this weekend. Yeah. We have it on video. You were, you were, <laughs> yeah, you were coming had, up cardiac hill. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, go ahead. Exp- uh, ex- go into the detail on that. I think it's an important piece. So, you know, I was thinking the, uh, yesterday about after Lake Sonoma, we had done a SmackDown with Liz. I think it's on our YouTube page. And I talked about how like during that race, that 50-mile race, which is really relentless, my mind was really quiet. I was like, oh, my God. And so you kind of think like, oh, locked in, quiet mind forever. That wasn't the, and, and that's not the case, right? Like it's, it's going to fluctuate. And it was interesting because the race I did on Sunday, the half marathon, there was a lot of chaos in the mind. Uh, it was just like, it's hot. This is hard. It's hot. This is hard. And it just kind of kept doing like, you're pushing too hard. Like you're going to have a heart attack. Like, is your heart healthy? Like there was just all this a lot of mental commentary going on. It was kind of the opposite of what I experienced um, when I talked about that 50-mile race I did. And the intensity was up. Like I was pushing as hard as I could. And um, But it just hit me. I was like, for the past decade, I've been practicing focusing on my breath. All I have to do is focus on my breath. That's it. And I think when people meditate and I give them a mantra or you give them a mantra, and we've both experienced this. We get the athlete comes back and says, I need a new mantra. I, I need to change it up. Yeah, I got I to change it up. And that's really the mind grabbing on to the meditation and the intellect trying to control it, saying, we got to change this up. You know, variety is the spice of life. Well, it is the spice of life, but that's not what meditation is about. Meditation is about making the mind one-pointed in its focus. And also through meditation, it teaches, teaches us to watch the thoughts. So in the simplicity of what I've been doing for the last decade plus of just redirecting my awareness to the breath, like that was just an amazing performance tool the other day during that race when I was having a lot of mental chaos was like, just come back to the breath, just come back to the breath. And this is what I do every day, reps, 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 reps. And I even brought in my mantra, the same mantra I've been using for the last 10 years in daily meditation, so hum. And so hum, the vibration of so hum is peace. So why wouldn't I want to be resonating with peace in the middle of mental chaos? And so, you know, I will give people other mantras, um, but I Eventually, and sometimes right off the bat, I'll bring them to Soham. Uh, I try and get them, you know, to just stay with that. But sometimes I gotta, I gotta give right here and there to keep them in the game. How can I keep them in the game? But really, Soham is like the only thing you ever need as a mantra. It will take you to the higher states of consciousness. And I just saw this direct translation from my meditation practice to that race on Sunday. And so watch how the mind too will want to grab on to your meditation and begin to control it and say, oh, I need to mix it up. And because that's just a red flag that the mind's in control and you're not. You know, when we sit for meditation, I always have people just take a few breaths, like, and that's kind of sent, setting the intention. It's like this little message I send to the mind, like, we're sitting down, and I will let you know when we get up, like, and not a moment sooner will that happen. I'm in charge. You are not. You are the student. I am the master. And 
the simplicity, right? To bring it back to the simplicity of the of the teaching, the simplicity of meditation. It's not about stopping your thoughts. It's about being in control of where your focus is, putting your focus time and again on what you want, when you want it there, for how long you want it there. And that is the battle of the mind because the mind will always want to be entertained. It will want new mantras. It will want fancy breath. That's why it wants to learn how to do a one-handed handstand and all those fancy things in yoga because it wants to be entertained. So you got to watch out for that. But that was just in its simplicity in, in a hot, dry, race, tough course, mental chaos, the breath, as always, was the perfect tool. And it helped me just stay focused. And also just the the present moment where all suffering falls away. Yeah, there were people uh, on the opposite side of that. There were people just falling away on that course where I was standing. People's minds were just giving up already. They were actually vocalizing to me, I'm not going back out. They'd already decided before they even reached the top that they were not going to go back out for their next lap. So they were just building that energy behind relief because now they know, okay, it's over. Like this is done versus just get to the, just get to the point where you actually need to make a decision because you don't need to make a decision right now. You need to make a decision when you're in transition. Right. And in transition is where you're going to know, do I push or do I yes. not go anymore? But if you decide before you're early. in the experience, you're selling yourself short. And then there were people, like you said, that were just like, like just locked in, like just hammering that hill. Oh, they were flying. Yeah. Yeah. Like just really strong on the day. This girl who beat me by about five minutes. And I know those five minutes were at aid stations because I needed, like I needed the ice. Like I was cooling down my body and, and she would skip the aid stations and I, we were jockeying back and forth. And on that last lap, she passed me probably like mile. Cause I passed her on the downhill going back out for the second loop. And she passed me probably around mile 10. And then once I, when I saw her again, she was between a quarter mile, a half mile ahead of me. And I was like, oh, dang, there she goes. So then it was like, okay, don't let anybody pass you. You know, just go, it's like run like you're being chased. And, uh, and so I did. Um, but then when we looked back at results, like talk about people who stayed the course. Like I think there was, remember I said there was like a, somebody finished the half marathon. It was like 10 hours or nine hours or something like that. Like just so impressive. People doing 50, the 50K that day in like 13 hours. So impressive. 100K finishing at like 17 hours. Like that was a tough, tough day. It was very Havelina-ish with a much harder course. And for me, a shorter, obviously a much shorter distance. But yeah, just, and that's the thing is like, everybody is, exactly where they need to be, getting the experience they need right on time, um, always being delivered, but just watch. Through meditation, we learn to watch those thoughts. And when we can watch those thoughts, we can really tune into like, am I selling myself short here? And just really move into that authenticity, which is honesty with ourselves. Where am I at? And, And making those choices from the conscious state of mind. Yeah, where am I? Where am I at right now? Yeah, 
right in this in this moment. Now, what I thought was interesting about that woman who did pass you, we actually watched the video of the start of the race because I took video, and she was the last one to leave uh, the start of the race. She was the, she was in the way back. She so was. It just shows you. She was a good racer. Yeah, she was a good racer. And I talked. I chatted with her just briefly as she was coming up. She's like, "It's just the mind. It's just the mind." Mm-hmm. So she was already onto it. She was in a good spirit. She wasn't suffering at all. So yeah, she definitely. And she didn't have anything with her. I think she had a water bottle, like yeah. the ones that they handed out the plastic ones. She was ones. strong, and she it was, was strong. interesting to watch the two of us on the course because there was things that I was better at than her. I was better at downhilling than her. So I would pass her on the downhill, but she just had a stronger speed than me on the flats. And, um, and, uh, yeah, but I was watching her because we were always within, I, she was always within, like she was my carrot or I was hers. I was always watching when she was in front of me and watching when she would walk and watching when she would run. And when she would walk, I'd try and run further past that spot, right? Like just trying to put some strategy in it. Like, uh, But I think that I would have lost a lot of time if I didn't take the time to pour water over my head. I was getting really, really warm out yeah, there. Yeah, so you, ha- you did the things you had to do. And this is where the mind may go in, an untrained mind may go in and say, did I really go as hard as I could? Did it kind of get gone faster? Um, what more could I have done? Well, there's things that you did that you needed to, to get done in order to put you in that position that you were in as it was. So yeah, you did do, feel com- confident in yourself that you did do everything you could. Yeah, I wish I was faster at some things too, like at some races, but the results of the races that I did were, were because I put myself in that position. Like I did what I had to do. If it meant walking aid stations, that's what I had to do. And when you can like massage that relationship and really understand like, give yourself a break. Like you, you did do your best. Um, then you start to really get to work. That's where the work really yeah. Unfold. I mean, there were so many times like just really asserting my will, like run to the rock, run to that rock, run to, okay, now just keep running. Keep running. Go to that bush. Okay, now just now keep going. Keep going. Like legs are screaming. Mind was screaming. Like I definitely came up hmm. um, to that central governor that was just like stop, 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 and uh, and you just got to override that, right? So that was a situation where everything was saying stop, and I just kept going. So yeah, it was a cool, it was a cool experience. It was a rich experience. It was a sensation experience, and I've been like stupid sore ever since. So. But active recovery, crushing the active recovery, trying swim and bite the next day, and yeah, yeah. Well, yesterday I did yoga and or bite. yoga and bike. I did a couple of yoga sessions, and then you swam I, yesterday too. Yeah, I swam. Did I say bike? Yeah, yeah no, I swam, uh, and then got back in the pool first thing this morning, and then I'm gonna bike later. Even biked home from the. From the from pool, the pool and then left the bike downstairs in the foyer because it's like if I put the bike away, it'll be like, oh, the bike's already away. You know, even though it's very easy to get. So I just left it out there. So I'll get back on it later. And side note, we were at the pool this morning for 6 a.m., but <clears throat> I was supposed to wake up at 5, but actually woke up at 4, just as the alarm went off at 4. And I thought it was 5, but I got up too. And <gasps> turns out it was 4. So it's I've, so good. I've been up since four today. I know. It feels good, right? Empowering. Oh, yeah. Nap time. It's so nice like to get up and get got no, full is. meditation in and no ru- I don't like to rush in the morning. So Well, here's the 
you know, I was in a funk in the pool, so I mixed it up. I started to go in the ocean. I started to swim back in the mor- first thing in the morning, toes in the water at 6 a.m., and swimming's gotten better. So you got to mix it. You got to be you got to be onto the system. You got to be onto your your patterns and and mix it up to to kind of freshen up. And which is interesting because we were just talking about the mental piece, like oh, you got to mix up the mantra and things like that. But I think with the mind, you want to really make that mind one pointed. I think the mind is is it different from the body? Well, the body is actually an extension of the mind. But you know, knowing what you need in a moment. So awesome! All right. All right. That's it. Is this launching before St. George or after? After. Mm, After St. George. So we're heading to St. George next week. Good luck. We are. Thank you. (laughs) I'll see you there. (laughs) 